Welcome to The Witcher Lorecast, the show that explores the vast lore behind The Witcher games, show, and books. Uh, all right, Witcher friends, welcome back to the show. This is your host, Tom or Robots, and I am here with my friend, Toasty. Toasty, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Toasty, Toasty, as you can tell, Toasty's voice is very excited today. You can tell when Toasty's excited because his voice goes up about, uh, what, uh, I don't know, a Half 16th? An 16th of an octave, maybe? Probably. Maybe about, probably about right. Maybe 30 yeah. seconds of an octave. Um, it, it varies a lot. There's a lot of fluctuation in there because we have uh, that other voice that you heard, Cody Pondsmith. Cody, what's up? How you doing? Hey, everybody. I'm back. Uh, well, back and, ex- back well, and excited to talk about Witcher. Well, back, actually, I'm not. I'm back not to back now. One of my shows. Yeah. So um, some of our <laughs> listeners also listen to the Cyberpunk Lorecast. That's what you're referring to. So Cody Pondsmith. So let me, I, I didn't give you. I'm, let me give you the I'm proper. Here to plug your other podcast. Yeah. Yeah. You're plugging another. Po- let me give you the proper intro, <laughs> Cody. So we have with us today the general manager of one of the most influential tabletop role playing companies in the country, or may I might I say the world. A company that <laughs> has invented and also designs games for popular series like Cyberpunk and The Witcher, Cody Pondsmith. Cody, welcome to the show. How was that? Was that a better intro? Thank you. Thank you for having me, Robots. I, I'm glad <laughs> I could set aside time in my extremely busy schedule to deign to give you my presence. And well, I will be excited to, to just answer any questions you have with my vast wealth of knowledge. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So so to fill in the gaps here, you uh, you you graced us with your presence on the uh, cyberpunk lore cast about six months ago. And we talked. Uh, uh, in fact, this was a little bit more than six months ago. We talked before uh, 2077 launched. Yeah. And we, we talked some some lore and some stuff about about cyberpunk. And then, um, of course, you guys also do Witcher tabletop stuff, which is super, super freaking cool. So um, we started the Witcher Lorecast. What was that? About two months ago at this point. And lo and behold, you're like, hey, I'd be happy to come talk about that stuff, too. And I was talking with Jay Gray, who has joined us on this Cyberpunk Lorecast, who works with you as well. And he was like, um, he just kind of out of the blue. He's like, hey, did you know that there's an entire school of Witchers that was invented and the lore was created as part of a tabletop, as part of like the tabletop side of like the, you know, the, the world of the Witcher. And I was like, no, I didn't. I did not realize this. Like uh, so much of the the video games and so much of the world and the lore actually comes from the books. I didn't realize that there was an entire school of the Witcher of Witchers that was tied to the tabletop side of this. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So I should actually jump in and clarify a little bit. Okay. Um, we we did not create the school of the griffin the school of the griffin is established in the in the books way way back to i think that it's mentioned in blood of elves which is i think the second book to chronologically okay, right, come right. out i'm sorry yeah um, I, I misspoke you're right no yes. no you're fine you're fine what what we did was um when we sat down we were going to put out a bestiary for uh for the witcher trpg we wanted to have it you know, because monsters, witchers, witchers, monsters. We wanted to tie it to witchers in some way. And at that point, this was before um, the way the Witcher uh, expansion for Gwent had come out and, you know, a number of other things. So there was very little information about sort of any of the other schools other than the uh, the wolf. Yeah. Um, you know, we had previously in the core book, we had like talked a tiny bit. I think we devoted like 300 words to each of the schools. Um and filled in a few little blanks there, like the names of what their keeps were and whatnot. Um, and like Kate gave a little bit of input on sort of what they were like vaguely, mm-hmm. but we decided, okay, so we want to, we want to basically tie this to witches. So what better way than to kind of get this double whammy of talking about the old days, the, what we refer to as the golden age of witchers when there were witchers and there were more monsters. And then we could talk about, you know, monsters from bestiary. And also we could talk about one of the schools. So um, we took the Griffin school who had really, you know, we had a few facts about them as they had been established, you know, by the time of the books they're they're mentioned in passing, I believe by Vesemir, one of the elder witches of the wolf who basically says, you know, we haven't heard anything out of them for, for years, <laughs> you know, <they're, laughs> as far as we know, they're gone pretty much. Um, 
So we, I, I sat down and basically, you know, we looked at how to build that up and build out using the key character who is uh, the founder of that school, Erland of Larvik. Um, one of, not the first, but one of the first witchers successfully created by the experiment of Elzer and Cosimo, um, who had this very unique experience of having been born before the time of witchers, ha- kind of having an understanding, having been old enough when he was taken to become a witcher, having an understanding of what the world was like before witchers happened, and then going through sort of the whole process, which we described a little bit in sort of the introduction of the book of what the Witcher, you know, we, we kind of go into more depth on what the process of creating Witchers actually was like, a little bit of sort of the trial and error that they go through in the process of figuring out how to make Witchers. And then the end result when Erland and um, I think we say like 13 other Witchers are the first batch of successful Witchers actually go out into the world and actually ply their trade for the first time. And yeah, so we, we basically, we built all of this up around Erland as sort of this central character, uh, you know, founder of the Griffin school, one of the first Witchers to kind of have an excuse to talk about witches and really sort of expand on all the stuff that we previously knew. And I get, I can talk about that for literally hours, but I'm just going to monologue. That's, that's awesome because um, we are at the point in the, uh, the show where we've, we started with um, the, uh, uh, the conjunction of the spheres. Yeah. Uh, Words fall out of my brain, especially as it gets late at night, which is a perfect time to be doing podcasts in the evening, which is what I do. Um, And then we we went into the history before the Witchers, and then we went into the creation of the Witchers, and now we've been delving into the different schools. So we've covered a lot of the stuff you just talked about are some of the things that we've been covering in the the most recent episodes. Oh, excellent. This topic is actually super timely for what we're going into, because we just talked about the School of the Wolf, and so to now be talking about the School of the Griffin, and Erland and the creation of that is is like you're you couldn't have come in at a more perfect time in the series of the show. So that's really does cool. Does that mean that Jay Gray listens to the podcast? I'm pretty sure it does. <laughs> maybe, maybe he, he does. I have a feeling he uh, listens to a few of our shows. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jay. Hi. Hi, Jay. How's it going? Hi, Jay. Hi. Get back to work. Get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> that's your boss talking. <laughs> um. Toasty, do you have any any thoughts or questions about this? I know Toasty's. I, I can see his little spider sense tingling over his head. Is that what I mean? In the comics, it's like little lines that go over your head, yeah. right? Like the, this is this is the the Witcher lore cast. So I it's can our see Witcher your senses. Witcher okay, senses so. <laughs> tingling. <laughs> No, no, I was just kind of listening. I was he's like enraptured. Like, he's the, like, I was so enraptured yes, by the timeliness of the topic that he's, you know, I was like, wow, this is like perfect. Holy cow. <laughs> right, right. If you want, I can kind of go into the background of of sort of the, the Griffin and Erland and all that, all that jazz, as it were. Yeah, I would love um, to hear, I would love to hear the background. And I would love to hear some of the key distinct differences between uh, the Griffin school and the school of the wolf, because the school of the wolf is kind of the, the starting place for pretty much everybody. That's the school that we are the most familiar with. So the difference is going to be really, you know, the, the most interesting thing, I think for a lot of our listeners. So the, the super interesting thing about the Griffin versus the wolf is, I don't know how much you previously have talked about the fracturing, um, of the, of the original witch order, but a bit, uh, a little bit, um, that, the wolves the wolves are are you know the witches that are left effectively at the end of the fracturing you know we originally have the order of witchers and it's all of these disparate witchers doing the same job and you know they're all sort of part of a, a, a brotherhood as it were but you know some of them more tied to it than others and eventually you know the fracturing happens and you know it kind of breaks apart and everybody goes off to their separate corners as it were and the wolves are the ones who are left they're the ones who didn't leave castle morgreg when everyone else left and at a certain point they are in morgreg and they just figure they should move on you know the time has come for them to move on so they they basically you know migrate east and eventually find care in in 
something we're uh, kind of hoping to maybe talk a little bit about in one of our upcoming books, uh, where we'll have some more information on all of the Witcher keeps. Um, but the the Griffin is to some extent like a, this. The Griffin is a distillation of Erland of Larbic as a person. Erland is basically this, you know, <clears throat> bastard son of a Skelliger Raider who grew up on, on a ship, um, you know, kind of little more than a slave. His mother didn't want him. None of the crew really cared much about him. He was basically like the night watch on the ship, you know, deck hand. He you know, talks about the fact that, you know, his job was to ring a bell if, you know, the tentacle of a Kraken or a group of sirens or something started coming toward the ship and that nobody on the ship would really care if they came out one day and he just wasn't on deck anymore. Um, Great. And wonderful. He, is, he, he grows up just a, a deeply angry child. Um, like one of the last things that happens before he is sold by his mother to Algier, um, the mage who would eventually make him a witcher is he gets in a, a, he basically gets in a fight with another, another boy on the boat, just like with a hatchet, like will absolutely would have murdered this child um, over a fairly slight, a fairly, a fairly minor slight. So his mother is eager to get rid of him. She never wanted him in the first place. And she sells him to Cosimo or to Alger. And he is taken to at first Reesburg and then later Morgreg where he goes through just hell. We established that, you know, the, the early Witcher trials are absolutely terrible. Nothing is working. They are working on sort of the, these uh, mutagens and processes that they are still formulating. So at a certain point, they're going through this training, which is already horrendously difficult. You know, it is brutally physically punishing. It is mentally, emotionally punishing. You know, it yeah. is just just terrible it is like putting you know small children through special forces training yeah and it's killing um, them like yeah children are dying as they're going through this and they eventually get to the mutations because everybody's ready you know whatever and they start giving them the 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 mushroom elixirs and teas that we know of from uh blood of elves that kind of work them up to it and this is where we have the die off of all of the female acolytes because they didn't quite plan properly and i have my own sort of headcanon for why that happens um which is primarily that the 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 plan to make witchers was to make witchers by making magic knights the plan was to give knights magic and you know super speed and stuff like that so you know i've always figured that the reason this happens is because they started all of the they started all the experimentation with already existing knights so primarily a bunch of men who were enlisted in the, you know, the military or were nobles in various, you know, kingdoms or whatnot. So everything was already tailored for male physiology by the time they got to this point. So it just didn't turn out that well. Um, but Erland goes through this and there's a long period where a bunch of the acolytes are just dying. Just like they, they're not taking to these mushroom teas. They're not taking to these early mutations and they're just dying. And every couple nights, the mages will like take one of the children and take them to a lab. And the other acolytes will just hear screaming for like hours and then nothing. And the next morning, they have this horribly mangled, mutated body that they have to bury effectively. I mean, they choose to bury technically. Um, so this is what Erlen grows up in. And by the time he's officially mutated, um, he has lost... Uh, one of the few acolytes he kind of had made a friendship with um, who's actually possibly a romantic interest for him as a very young child. Um, and he's been mutated into, you know, this sort of monster that none of the mages are particularly impressed by. Right. The thing about witches is that by the time they get there, they're called witchers because they're only capable of witchery. You know, to all intents and purposes, as far as the the kings that funded this and a bunch of the mages are considered, they failed. Yeah, they, yeah. they failed to get what they wanted. Yeah, I always made the comparison for like D and D terms is that they were trying to make paladins and they ended up making rangers. Yeah, it's exactly that. So basically, they moved to Reesburg when uh, they moved to Morgreg. Uh, this abandoned castle in the Kestrel Mountains, when the kings who were funding it all pull out 
and the mages who were kind of there to try and, you know, get the glory and make magic knights all pull out because they failed. So it's left to basically Algier, Cosimo, and a bunch of sort of renegades to basically carry this on because they actually think they can do it effectively or that this will work. So they bring in, you know, teachers from all around the continent, um, you know, expert alchemists and rangers and knights and things like that. And among them is this knight, um, <clears throat> Taliesin, who has a long, long title because he's Nilfgaardian originally. This knight errant <sighs> who they bring north to basically teach these, uh, these you know, pr prospect witches swordsmanship. And he is, he's kind of known by the students by the fact that his, his helm, not his helm, but his coat of arms on his shield is a black griffin. Um, originally G G R Y P H O N Griffin, not G R I F F I N. So the, the quadruped with two wings, you know, the standard depiction of a Griffin. Mm -hmm. um, and Erland latches onto his teachings because Taliesin being a knight basically teaches him that he's gone through all of this tremendous suffering, but that if he doesn't throw himself wholeheartedly into this sort of almost ordained task that he has been given to, you know, free the continent of the tyranny of these monsters and protect people from the shadows that lurk in the darkness, then all of his suffering has been in vain. He, he is, all of this has happened for nothing. So Erland grows up with this understanding that being a witcher is not a curse. It is not something to be necessarily ashamed of. It is almost like a terrible burden that you take upon yourself so that you can help other people. Mm -hmm. You go through all of this suffering so that at the end of the day, you and your brothers can, you know, do what regular knights cannot do and defend the world from these monsters that up until the creation of witchers, the understanding is basically everybody lives in a walled city. And if a monster shows up, you have a mage who will theoretically kill the monster or drive it away. Or if you don't have a mage, then everybody gets together and does what they can. But, <laughs> right. you know, if you consider the fact that, you know, most specters can't be harmed by weapons unless they are in the effect of a magical circle. If a noon wraith is, is, you know, taking over a small village, there's nothing they can do. Right. So right. Erlen takes on this, this basically he, he deals with this trauma he has experienced by telling himself that this is suffering he had to go through so that he could help people. So that's an interesting um, shift. I mean, it's a, it's a logical shift, but it's an interesting shift for somebody who has such a, uh, like a dark rough upbringing to then decide that like, all of the pain and suffering I went through was actually worth it because it actually helps others when I have suffered so much and I'm still not like, I will never recoup anything for my, my pain and suffering, right? Like I will always be at a deficit. A lot of that is chalked up to, um, a lot of that chalk is chalked up to, um, Yagoda, the, the girl that he winds up, uh, you know, friends with and sort of romantically interested in during the trials who it kind of helps him get over his initial, you know, being raised in Skellige as a bastard child, you know, issues. Mm -hmm. um, and who he has a long period, a wrong, rather grueling period of trying to keep from dying before she eventually succumbs. So mm. um, the long and the short is that when the, when the order goes out and they start hunting monsters, you know, um, if that is Erlen's approach, you know, I'm going out, I'm going to go out, I am going to, you know, rid the world of these monsters. He really isn't even that much interested in pay. He gets paid so that he can maintain his gear and, you know, pay for doctors and things like that. But he is full throatedly into the, uh, the, the, the cause of witches effectively. And he loves, he, he comes to love this sort of brotherhood that he feels with the other witches in the school. Wow, so that's, of, that's interesting. Like, he really comes to find a, a, a real purpose in this. Yeah. Is, um, and, and I think that's a, I mean, it's, it's almost a redemption story without the need of a, like, a, a, 
it it's a faith but it's a faith in uh the good of 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 you know the just the goodness of doing good yeah without the need of like a, a deity or or something beyond yourself yeah um but so he he takes this on and of course one of it's really sad one of the things i i really determined when we were writing erland was that i need i i needed to make sure that i remembered what world i was writing mm -hmm. so I, I i am writing witcher um good no good deed goes unpunished in the world of the witcher right um so Erlen's whole arc basically hits this point as they are they are the order of the witcher they are established they are going around killing monsters and you know the fracturing happens you know basically eventually you know witchers are fighting over contracts more and this you know is a problem they're trying to address but not really super well and eventually arnagod attempts to kill reese and has this big coup moment where he tries to take over Morgreg. Um, they manage to fight him off. Uh, Erlen battles him one-on-one, -on -one, kind of for the first time put into this situation where he has had to fight someone he considers his brother, mm -hmm. um, which mm -hmm. will lead to just, just really uh, bad blood between them for, for much of the rest of their lives. Um, and, you know, Arnagod goes off and starts the bear. He is unsuccessfully almost killed by um ivar evil eye who starts the viper the cats leave because they think they found a way to improve the the um the mutations and that whole thing happens um and by this point this order has meant this order has been erlen's family um and he believes so much in this brotherhood and everything is just falling apart so he sometime after the cats leave he basically just you know takes his his closest you know closest uh companions um and just says we're we're leaving yeah. we're gonna we're gonna go find somewhere else and we're gonna you know we're going to get the order back to what it used to be so he and these other witchers leave Morgreg. They head, uh, they head northwest. They eventually find Kerseren, um, which is an old, old, old fortress uh, in the mountains of Kovir and Povis, uh, which had been used previously as another sort of attempt to create witchers um, and was absolutely full of specters and horribly cursed because of it. <laughs> so, Wonderful. Perfect. Erland, Erland and his Erland and his I hate to call them acolytes because to him they are brothers basically mm -hmm. go through and clear out Kerseren over a long period of time just killing every specter in the in the fortress and eventually sort of cleansing it and making it into their home um, and from there Erland goes on to basically try his damnedest to rebuild what he had when the first order of witches was created he basically creates this school where you know the training is still horrendous the mutations are still horrifying but you are still treated with like a baseline level of respect as you are going through this training mm -hmm. it is always stressed in the school of the griffin that you are part of the family you will be a brother of the other griffins you must go through this suffering. And as his Gwent line says, our suffering binds us. Basically, once you have gone through this suffering, you will be our brother fully. And we will, you know, hunt monsters and help the world. And every winter we come together under tapestries of our great deeds and tell stories around, you know, warmly lit hearths of the monster hunting we have done and the people we have helped. Um, he tries to create this school with this very almost Arthurian kind of vibe to it. Right. Right. And in the end, it's the friends we made along the way. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes through this and, you know, this goes okay. And in fact, the, the Griffin is generally considered to be the most respected of the Witcher schools by like the world at large. Um, because Erlen stresses, you know, you're not, People don't treat you well, but at the end of the day, you know, and he kind of takes this mentality of, you know, 
a toddler may not always understand why you have to, you know, give it certain rules. Mm. You know, the people may not understand why you have to do what you do. They may not love you for being a mutant, but you need to understand that this is something you have undertaken to help them. And they may never understand that, but not everybody is going to effectively. It's about the closest you get to like a monastic order of witchers. Yeah. It's you have a, you have a group that is a, a brotherhood. They, um, you know, they, they are, they, they can't have kids because they physically can't. <laughs> right. They have a, uh, kind of a spiritual goal and that's to cleanse the world of these evil monsters to help other people. Um, and to do it for that reason, not for personal gain, not for wealth. Um, they're the only thing that they get out of it is the brotherhood that they find with these other witchers. Right. It's, it's this kind of, they, they have, it's a very pure kind of sense in all of that. And in going through everything they have to go through, they, they go through a lot of suffering and a lot of pain that conditions them for this life. So in, in a way it's, it's like a, like a monastic, like a monkhood sort of. Yeah. Yeah. But as with all things, as with all good things, (laughs) The, the arc of the witch, the arc of the griffin is kind of this, uh, this very unfortunate one because they, they build this school. There's a big focus on magic because Erlen personally is quite trained in, in using his signs. There is a focus on the wearing of knightly armor and the use of crossbows, um, especially in dealing with, you know, flying targets and things like that. Yeah. Um, a, a, process of of sort of a final test for young acolytes where um this was one that that cdpr threw in that i personally loved where you had to either i believe it was you had to either recite the the chivalric code from memory um it was in the, it wasn't the chivalric code it was you had to recite it was a, the liber tenebrarum yes the, the liber tenebrarum which was keldar's uh keldar's uh sort of what was it called? Um, like specification for, for achieving full witcherhood as it were, or you had to go out and was it like steal the egg of a, an arch Griffin? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which of course more people chose. No um, one ever chose the recitation <laughs> according <laughs> to the Lord. <laughs> so That's great. They do this. And over time there, there's just these sort of cracks that form. So Erlen basically, when he first arrives in Kovir and Povis, he basically meets with the current ruler of that region and basically says, we're here, we're going to hunt monsters. You know, we will help your people as it were. And he is approached about basically I've, I have the, you know, the, the, the current ruler of the region basically goes, I now have a bunch of super, you know, functionally super soldiers living in a castle in my lands. So, you know, understandable for the, what we know in the other realms, he basically says, how about you and all of your brothers just work for me effectively. <laughs> right. Right. And Erlen d- declines because yeah, Erlen has always maintained that if a witcher gives up their neutrality, they cannot stand on that neutrality ever again. You know, yeah. if, if you, if you fight for someone, then you will theoretically fight for anyone. So he says no, and this will go on to hinder him quite a bit in the future. But especially is basically throughout the course of the Griffin, um, you know, they are doing their thing. Erlen spends a large period of time going around and basically visiting the courts of the various kings and you know, monarchs of the northern realms, uh, attempting to convince them to effectively sort of state sponsor his school um so that they can receive you know payment from the crown as it were and they won't have to charge people for the for their services basically he he has this grand very idealistic goal that eventually you know even the poorest beggar will be able to have a witcher lift a curse for them or kill a monster because they won't have to take money from the people they are helping effectively mm-hmm. which is flatly refused by basically everyone um <laughs> Because, you know, nobody really, you know, all the kings have the money to pay for witchers. They don't really see what use it is to, to you know, pay for witchers so that people they don't know and they don't particularly care about can get the services of a witcher. And in Kovir, yeah, in Kovir and Povis, they have already refused to sort of sign on with 
you know, the, the royalty, as it were. And then later, when Redania attempts to reconquer K- uh, Kovir and Povis, uh, Erlen still refuses because that would still be breaking his neutrality. So this fails through the course of it. They wind up in, we don't talk about this a lot, but they wind up sort of um, more than anything sort of tricked into the massive sort of hunting of dragons that happens um, in, yeah, in the very early days, we learned that basically dragons, dragon, there used to be a lot more dragons, true dragons. Yeah, yeah. But at some point they were marked an enemy of mankind basically like they are the greatest enemy of mankind which in some respects they they can be you know mm-hmm. true dragons in this setting are extremely powerful but you know in the in the lore it's also made a big note that a lot of this is pushed by the jewelers guilds of of the continent mm, yeah they're just greedy because dragon hordes so <laughs> so erland and a number of the griffins are sort of are sort of manipulated into killing a number of these dragons be thinking that we're there sort of helping people and, you know, defeating the greatest enemy of mankind. You know, it's another monster effectively. Sure. Uh, when really they are, you know, sort of lining the pockets of this jewelers guild effectively. Sons of um, bitches. <laughs> and eventually this all comes down because, you know, Erlen has been compiling these, you know, scripts on magic uh, for, by this point, you know, decades nigh centuries um and has of course not not given up any of the secrets of mutating people into witches uh even when he is approached by members of the conclave um who basically you know want this information and erlin says no because you know he remains neutral and these are the secrets of his school and so a group of mages are sent by the council and create a massive am- avalanche, which completely buries Kerseren. Um, Erland is out of the castle at this point. So he is like, he's in that, like riding back to the castle and he just sees the avalanche hit the keep. Um, he sees the mages who called it down, but you know, even as, even as his blood boils, as it were, he's not going to fight, you know, three or four yeah. effectively massively powerful mages <laughs> right. on his own. Right. They just dropped a mountain on your, on your keep. You're probably not going to take them on your own. Yeah. And he tries, he tries to basically, he tries to get back to Karasaran and find out who's alive. Um, you know, we've kind of, uh, we've effectively established that, you know, a great, like 75 to 80% of the, the entire school was wiped out in that avalanche. Um, yes. And Erlen basically that this is basically like the effectively the breaking point for Erlen. He has done all of this for these people for basically his whole life since since childhood. And the Witcher's Journal, the book where we talk about this, is basically this this whole entry is basically this internal canon of Erlen basically shortly after his keep is destroyed, and as far as he knows, all of his brothers are killed is basically holed up in a cave in the Dragon Mountains, writing down his his memories and his stories and all of his knowledge about killing monsters because he's just leaving. He, he underestimated the greed of mankind one too many times, and it cost him everything that he loved. So he's just leaving. You know, the monsters by this point are mostly gone. People have started to turn on witchers. So he just writes all this down and basically says, I will leave this here so that when you realize your mistake and the monsters start coming back, you will at least have some knowledge of how to protect yourselves because I'm not going to be here anymore. It's like his, his, I told you so (laughs) journal. Yeah. (laughs) And we specifically, we make a point that there are a lot of, there are a lot of like, accounts of last sightings of Erland of Larvik. No one knows exactly where he went. Um, some people say that he's, you know, living a, a you know, a, the hermit's life somewhere in the mountains. Some people said he, he hopped a ship to Ophir. Um, you know, nobody really knows where he went, but he just left, which I find personally spiritually crushing <laughs> because we later established in CDPR later established in Gwent that, old Keldar um, is still there. 
he he survived the assault on Kerseren and like still watches the keep, which is heartbreaking <laughs> for me because Old Keldar would have had to have been one of the witchers that left Morgreg with Erland, uh-huh. and Erland assumes that he's dead, basically. Right, right, and so he probably doesn't even know. Yeah, yeah, and Keldar probably assumes that Erland is dead. So oh. it's it's I I. When I started writing Erland, I was like, okay, I'm going to write, I, I am unabashedly going to write a hero. Erland is a hero, but the Witcher world does not treat heroes well. Right. His, 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 the end of his story is going to be, is going to be just dramatically tragic and it kind of has to end that way. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Yep. That's, uh, Yes. <laughs> Yeah, this is a um this is in the vein of uh oh crap, what's his what's his name? Um the uh the Tolkien book, the the story of um oh what was his name? From the, the Silmarillion, the Oh um you know what I'm talking about? The no, story unfortunately. Of, oh man, uh the, Christopher Tolkien took the Silmarillion and, and released it. And then there was more writings about um, uh, a specific character in it and in, in it and just losing his, his name. Um, but it's, he's one of the most tragic characters that Tolkien ever wrote about. And it's the same, same kind of story um, yeah. where it's, you know, a very tragic hero, um, but it's very much in that kind of vein. And, and I, I love, I really love tragic heroes. So that it resonates a lot with me. I, I think that's really cool. Um, we'll tell you what we've I, I'm sure Toasty has some questions. I've got some questions for you. We need to take a break for the middle of the show real quick, but okay. we'll come back and um, we'll go over some more stuff. If you've still got some time to hang out. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right. Cool. Absolutely. All right. Here we go. Very well. Let us get this over with. Something has infested my vineyard. Mm-hmm. Great. Let me go prepare my something oil then. All right, everybody. Thank you for hanging out with us, especially those of you who are in the live show with us. Welcome to all of our live viewers. We are on currently on twitch.tv slash robots radio and also on the YouTube channel on the robots radio YouTube channel. And we go live on Monday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. So if you'd like to come join us and hang out with us live, we'd love to have more and more of you guys show up. I'd love to hit like 30 live viewers on on an episode so we ha- can see more of your comments during the live show. I love all the live interaction. So thank you for being here with us. Also, for those of you who have taken the time to drop some ratings and reviews and to share the show with your friends. Thank you very much for that as well. You guys, um, you guys are amazing. Um, this show is really only able to be done because of you taking the time to listen to it and share it with your friends and and you know take the time to leave a rating and review and all that stuff and we actually have some new ones that came in just over the last week we've got let's see we've got these two we've got one here that says um this is from jay gainsey in the united states who writes i don't think i did we go over this one yet i sometimes i've done this one we have done uh, this I one we did, it sounds this is the one that called me toaster Yes, this is the one that calls you Chester. We have done this one. Oh, this one got revised. That's why it shows up on a different date. Oh, okay. Ah, yep, yep. Man, sometimes these get tricky. Um, but we do have another one. This one's uh, default with some fancy numbers instead of letters from the United States who writes, the best podcast around. Wow, the best podcast. That's high praise. Five stars. This show and the Cyberpunk Lorecast make me excited to commute to and from work. Wow, that's that's like, that's really good. Yeah, that's high praise. <laughs> that's high praise. I started reading the books because of this show. Well, there you go. Well, if you haven't Higher tried out, if there. you haven't tried out any of the tabletop stuff, then this guy Cody can tell you why that's a good idea. It's those are freaking awesome great games to play. So you should try those as well. So if you're reading the books and you're playing the video games, tabletop games where it's at, also go try those out. Um, so thank you, Default, for taking the time to to leave a rating and review. If you would like to get your words on the show then drop us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. You don't have to listen on Apple Podcasts. You just have to have an Apple account, and you can easily get one of those just on the web browser, and you can leave us a rating or review. So thank you, everybody. We're going to stop yammering about all this stuff, and we're going to get back to talking to Cody. So here we go. You smell of death and destiny, heroics and heartbreak. It's onion. Right, yeah. 
we love our little uh, clips from the Witcher show and game. Um, that makes me laugh every time. <laughs> it's onion. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Um, so uh, here I have an image. I'm going to pull it up on the screen right here. Boomp. And this is the Witcher's journal for a Witcher. Knowledge is as important as any sword. Um, can you tell us about? Can you tell us about this image? This uh, this is a cool. So, this is a cool looking picture. This is way. this is a. This was a very interesting image to do in the office because we spent a long time like how this this image has to grab like what how you interact with monsters in Witcher mm -hmm. and also show Erland and, you know, have some, some interest about it. And there were a lot of iterations of this piece and we came to this one and everybody in the office just, just loved it. Um, and I get so many, I get so many comments about it being like the cover of a romance novel. It is kind which, of uh, it is kind of romancy. You've got like the handsome dude, with like the cool hair, he's got it. He's got the. Was that a griffin tattoo, or is it just uh, a, a crow? It's or originally something? it's a raven. It's a raven. Okay, um, but you get like the handsome dude kind of looking down, and then you've got like the sexy lady in what looks like a, either a gown or sheets. But of course, it, there's more to it than that because she's got like blood on her face, <laughs> and there's blood on the banister, like. It's like a romance novel. Uh, you know what? This would be a really cool idea for projects is to find a bunch of like romance novels with like sexy looking people and then like horror them up. Yeah. And turn them all into like Witcher covers. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, this is this is an especially interesting one because we never actually like we never actually wrote down. I never actually wrote down the story of what's happening in this scene anywhere. At some point, I guess I'll have to. But the the background on the scene is that basically it is um, very similar to um, one of the cinematics for, for um, Witcher 3 um, is basically the situation, you know, somewhat early in Erlen's career um, after founding the Griffin, where he is basically Erlen still goes out on the path, you know, despite being the, the, you know, grandmaster of the school. And he basically is, contracted to take this this um to take out this at first monster that is haunting like a local uh like opera house effectively mm. um also sexy and he gets there and finds that it is a bruja um one of the nastier uh higher vampires below like actual higher vampires also sexy um and he is at this impasse of basically Erlen doesn't particularly like to kill sapient monsters that much. Ah, okay. He, he prefers to try to negotiate with them if possible, if they haven't like racked up a massive, you know, a massive death count or kill count. Of right. The they're like. not just total psychopaths. Sure. And this is basically the moment as he is absolutely he is basically going through this opera house, absolutely being led to what is effectively, you know, the most uh, the most prime spot for this for this Bruja to kill him effectively. Mm -hmm. He has tried to sort of, you know, talk this out, as it were, and it's just not working. And this is sort of his moment of I'm going to have to kill her. You know? <laughs> yeah. OK. All right. Fine. This You're is, pushing me to the end, and I know I'm in the most dangerous situation I could possibly be in. Fine. I I tried to convince <laughs> you to leave, but even yeah. if you leave, you're just going to kill more people other places. So right. Yeah, that, so, that's 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 how these stories go, though. You know, like I feel like Geralt goes through a lot of the same kind of stuff in the you know in the books and the games and stuff. Um, I also like the some of the little details here, like the like the runes on the silver sword yeah down here like that so they're, they're like glowing green um i'm trying to be descriptive for our our listeners at home um or or at work wherever you're listening i'm not going to judge um <laughs> also the um the stained glass behind the Bruja, yeah. um the you know the the little splotches of blood on the banister the birds flying around um it i mean it, it Either this is a romance novel or this, you know what this is? This is a Guns N' Roses vid music video from like 1991. Oh, yeah. That's what this is. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm getting November November, November rain vibes uh, for this thing. Yeah, absolutely. So we have another image here. This one's fun. Ah, uh, yes. Ah, uh, yes. Um, this, oh. this, a lot of people are going to recognize this. So uh, this is everybody's favorite bard here. And oh, I, should, I should note real quick, my art manager will want me to note this. Uh, the, the first image is by Martina Fakova, um, an absolutely wonderful artist that we got to do uh, that, that cover and also, um, I believe, two pieces in the actual book that were absolutely amazing. Yeah, that, that image is beautiful. I mean, it looks, oh, yeah. it almost, it, it very much looks like um, uh, models who were just photographed and then done up artistically. Like, but it's art. You're, you, this is artwork, right? Like this is like yeah. actual drawn or painted yeah. or whatever. Um, yeah, that's amazing. This is is very very pretty. So this one we have up on the screen right now is everybody's favorite bard, the most famous bard, <laughs> as as my text here from uh, Jay Gray says. Um, <laughs> let me read it again because this is this is too good. Um, so uh, this is the cover image from our upcoming book, a book of tales adventure compendium. Tales guaranteed to be 100% true, as told by the world's greatest bard. So, so what can you tell us about this? So this piece done by, uh, done by Bad Moon, um, they do some of our, some of our illustrations. They are, they're another great group we get to work with. Um, we, what we wanted was our, our compendium of, of adventures, six adventures that you can run um, either separate or sort of linked together is basically literally tales that dandelion is spinning effectively nice um and we wanted to follow out you know for those of you who you know read the books um and even those who don't dandelion has this this tendency to always you know play himself up um Mm -hmm. even when he's yeah embellish (laughs) things stuff Mm -hmm. like that so we wanted to lean into this basically these are six absolutely 100 percent true tales told by the world's the the world's most famous the most revered the most skillful bard in the world um and just lean into that effectively we got this great shot of dandelion standing on the table about to about to launch into a ballad um everybody around of course enraptured we figured this was (laughs) like enraptured yeah we we figured this was like at the tail end roughly at the tail end of like witcher 2 um Mm-hmm. Before all the chaos happens in in between, you've got Geralt and Zoltan and Triss in the background, just kind of watching. You know, um, yeah. obviously, yeah. Geralt doesn't of, look that grumpy. Look at him. He, yeah. he looks like he's got like that. Looks like the most smile you're going to get out of a, pl- <laughs> a, a, a patient amusement, shall we say? Yeah, he's like, um, all right, this isn't so bad. And Roach trying to sneak a beer. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh man I, yeah i just noticed that yep I, roach's head is poking through the window the trying to sneak a beer some other men and women around the bar just kind of and you know enjoying their beers well you know listening to him sing i don't know it, it looks like they're enjoying the the show um yeah okay nice <laughs> we actually one of my favorite things about this book is that um so the book the book has, has six stories told across the continent um they're all they can all be played separately or you can kind of link them together they all have little like a string that will go through them that can take you from sort of on like a trip across the continent and um at the very back at the very back of the book um we have a bunch of like player content we have information on playing uh some of the other races that we didn't talk about in the core book like vran and weirbubs and gnomes um we have some, uh, including some new, some new background about them. We have uh, some new weapons and new spells and things like that. And we also have at the very back of the book, uh, Dandelion's actually completely factually accurate stat block. Um, <laughs> okay, so what kind of stuff is in there? It is, it is a full page stat block um, that basically uh, is preceded by by a note like a small parchment note the the ostensibly penned by dandelion who's been penning notes throughout the book it's says something the extent of like i've i've heard that in other publications uh they they have not completely grasped the the um acumen of my skill allow me to to res- to you know resolve this matter and then it launches into this stat block where like we basically i gave this to uh mr james hutt who's who um ran ran head on this project um 
and he basically went through and took like everywhere that we had stats for Geralt. We had it was like all of Geralt's uh, skill bases, but like plus one or something. <laughs> so he's right. like he's he's just a little bit more skilled at swordplay than Geralt. Of course, and he's got a, like a supernaturally high seduction, and mm-hmm. you know he's he, the the image next to it is uh, the the dandelion vainglory painting so it's him standing there with the giant sword having slain the 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 um the wyvern very nice <laughs> of course of course that's amazing <laughs> incredible dude that's that's awesome so okay so this isn't out yet uh this is it has just come back from the printers so we are expecting mm-hmm. release in i think mid-august so middle of this month we're oh, expecting so it to very be soon yeah awesome no, this will be fun. Uh, this I'll have to check this out. This is I I'm love totally buying this. <laughs> I love I love these like wacky like side kinds of you know things. These are these are awesome, um, and of course you know dandelion. So you know that's great too. <laughs> that's awesome. Toasty, do you have any questions? We're getting kind of closer to the end of the show. I just I want to make sure that you can toss some questions in if you have any. So, so I did have one question just whenever we were talking about the, the Griffins. Uh-huh. So, so were the, the Griffins particularly specialized in fighting flying monsters? Um, as you said that they were tasked or they were manipulated into fighting dragons, which as we know, those fly too. And, and they use crossbows a lot. You, you mentioned that. As yeah. Well. yeah. The Griffins were not so much specialized in fighting in fighting um, flying monsters, it was just more of a, the way I've, I've kind of seen it is that um, they had this sort of focus on crossbow from a combination of, you know, a, you know, you realize at a certain point that when a siren takes to the sky, you can't really use a sword on it. And at a certain point, it's kind of out of range of most of your signs. And then there's also just sort of used to, you know, as we see with a lot of the special crossbow bolts in, in Witcher 3, there's just used to having that, you know, offhand ranged weapon. In a lot of cases with the dragons, you know, because while they are still, while they're knights, they're still witchers. Um, a lot of that is, you know, taking these creatures by surprise, largely because, you know, you kind of have to with a lot of the dragons, we have one story. Well, we don't have a story. We didn't get a whole story for it, but we have a, a quote uh, from Erland about the, one of the times he, he killed a dragon, which was a brown dragon named Fatana which had taken up residence in a pass between uh, Kedwin and Redania in the Kestrel mountains. And, you know, you don't hit a dragon, you know, straight, straightforward. So he actually found found basically spent a big bunch of time studying this dragon and eventually found that it had uh, a, just a pure just hatred of necrophages. So he wound up uh, corralling a bunch of necrophages to distract <laughs> the dragon um, so that he could basically, you know, get the get the drop on it, as it were. Ah. Uh, Interesting. It's like, <laughs> amazing. Hey, get a load of all these. He just, oh, he, just gets like, he just gets like a dozen ghouls and he's just like, go get them. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. <clears throat> Very smart. <laughs> well, nice. Um, is there anything else you want to share before we, we wrap this up? Anything else cool going on? That you, anything else you can kind of sneak in there? You know, well, you're not supposed oh, to tell I, us, but you want to, you want to share anyway? I've, I've got plenty. I've got plenty. <laughs> um, some of which I actually can talk about. So um, we are book of tales is, is coming, is coming to stores near you soon as it were. Um, we are currently in tail end layout on our next book, Tome of chaos, um, which is an in-depth look at magic in the world of the Witcher, um, nice. including a bunch of new information about a bunch of the religions of the continent uh, breakdowns for certain gods, even some of the ones that we don't hear a whole lot about, like the prophet Lebiota or the following of the prophet Lebiota and Nehleni and some of the other, like not mm-hmm. mentioned very often gods. Um, a whole big section on mages and how they get trained and how they get trained in different places, including a bunch of new information about Gwyson Hall, 
the Imperial Magic Academy of Nilfgaard and how that functions. Mm-hmm. Um, this, the book is actually sort of tied around the the travels of a Nilfgaardian mage who taught at Gweissen Hall um, named Glynis Vartraharn, who is a, a pre- previously a professor at Gweissen Hall who winds up defecting during the third Nilfgaardian war. Um, and we get to talk about a lot of how Gweissen Hall functions and how Nilfgaard is sort of dealing with mages and training mages and things like that. We have a whole life path, much like we had the, the life path for witches in the Witcher TRPG core book. We have a whole life path for mages that goes into how you were trained, where you were trained, and what that means. That's cool. Um, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of new magic, new spells, new hexes, new rituals, um, including some very cool ones like animating armor and uh, some, some fan favorites that have been described in the books like Becker's rock slide and stuff like that. Um, a whole, a whole section on magic items where we talk about, you know, power stone guardians and mega scopes and magic mirrors and things like that. Mm -hmm. And a big, horrible, horrible, horrible chapter on dark magic um, (laughs) where we go into we go into uh, the various practices of necromancy, um, including uh, the the um, a, a horrible a horrible necromantic ritual called Cadfan synthesis, which gets around the fact that you uh, you can't really fully you it's hard to fully animate a corpse after it's died by animating a whole bunch of corpses all together in one mass. Oh, oh dear wonderful um, i bet that smells really good the oh art for gosh. the art for this thing is absolutely amazing <laughs> oh god um, i just see like talk- a ball like a ball of bodies there's one of these in uh one or two of the dark soul games where oh, there's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. like the ball of bodies that just like rolls around i'm just we imagining talk- a centaur from fallout <laughs> oh god <laughs> kind of we, we talk about that. We talk about mutation. We have whole rules for mutating people and even your party members. Um, and <laughs> a big, a big long chapter on Goetia where we talk about how you can make deals with devils and why you probably shouldn't, but why you probably will in the end anyway. <laughs> <laughs> of course, because, because, Ooh. you know, adventurers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, your party's going to do it anyway. Cause of course. Yeah. They will. Yeah. And then, ooh, this super, I, I talk forever, but uh, we have, <laughs> at the end of the book, we have, a, we have a bunch of mages, a bunch of key mages that you can meet and, and interact with. And we have one section which I particularly enjoyed, which is, um, in the World of the Witcher, I, <laughs> I, I'm going to get my statistics wrong, but it's like, it's like 7% of the people who are capable of doing some amount of magic are capable of being sorcerers and sorceresses. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And we now have a whole system to talk about that other like 95% of people who can do magic, but can only do like one little thing. Right. So you can now, you can now build a (laughs) non mage character who's capable of like starting fires, but that's like all you can do. Right. They're like, like, they're like the three of us and how well we can juggle compared to like an actual person who really can juggle. Yeah. 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 So, we're 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 in the tail end of layout on that. I'm very excited. We're hoping to get that put together by end of the year. Um, and we're already working on um, the one I'm currently working on, which I can't talk a lot about. Um, Rodolph's Guide to the North. Oh. Um, we we are putting together a two part setup for a big, very RPG focused world guide to the to the Witcher continent. Uh, Rodolf's Guide to the North and Rodolf's Guide to Nilfgaard, which are going to be two massive books where we basically go through every country in those regions, um, give a little bit of history about how the country got founded and what the country has been doing for the past, you know, 1200 years or so. Actually, it's more like 300 years. Um, And then the whole chapter, those chapters are split up into entries based on different cities and locations within those, those kingdoms. So you'll have a, an introduction for like Redania or Temeria or Sidorus or Verdon, mm-hmm. which will give you the background. And then there are a bunch of entries ranging from like little half page entries with just a little sort of snippet of information about a kind of interesting thing to full like four page entries that have beautiful big piece of art of the, the, the region 
And then in the case of cities, we're actually doing, hopefully planning to do full street by street city maps of these cities. Wow. So we're aiming to basically go through every place in the continent. Not, we only have like 12 or 13 places that have maps, but every place in the continent basically say like, here's a country. And then here's like, nine or 10 places in that country that you might want to go to or have your players go to Mm -hmm. here's maybe one or two factions that are very powerful in that region or maybe started in that region here's some information on what's what it's like to join those factions and work with those factions and then because i'm terrible at not putting things in books there's like a whole small bestiary of monsters that are region like regional monsters for those areas i think they're like nine or ten monsters that are just like you'll find this here um some new items and probably a few new spells and uh the the super cool thing that we worked on this was this was once again um mr james hutt's uh a brainchild here was every page is set up with a sidebar Uh, So every spread has a sidebar on either side and the sidebar on the left is going to be a basically running account of the narrative of the book, which is Rodolf Cosmer, Dwarven Merchant Extraordinaire and Brandon of Oxenford, um, greatest scholar in the North, traveling (laughs) across the, the Northern Kingdoms, basically collecting information. So we have these little sort of snippets of their adventure over here. And then on the right side, Every right-hand page will have an adventure hook that is tied to one of the locations on that page. Oh, that's cool. So the book has, I think the book has something like a hundred and something adventure hooks that you can just like pull out and use depending on where your players are. Yeah, man, that's really cool. You you guys have so many cool ideas. Sounds insane. Yeah. (laughs) I have, I have. Uh, so Witcher, Witcher Core was written basically entirely by me and Lisa. Um, Witcher's journal was written by me and like two other writers writing some bits of fiction. Um, and this book, I have six writers on, on staff for this Jeez. and then myself. Jeez. Holy moly. So you, you, you're into the Witcher. Yes. And that's, uh, that's what I've gathered by this whole hour long conversation so far. At that's, least a little bit. That's the that's my one takeaway so far is that you like this Witcher thing. Got it. Um, <laughs> dude, I, this is, is a good thing we invited him once. It's a good the thing. It's a good thing. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Holy moly! How how serendipitous! Amazing. Amazing, man. We could. I'm sure we could talk for hours. Like you said, um, we will have to have you on again. Um, and the more you talk about um, some of these locations, the more my mind starts going to some of the things that we've seen in some of the teaser trailers the new season coming up this fall season two of the the witcher and then i've got questions about that and i kind of want to pick your brain about that but then i know we're going to talk for like another hour about that as well so can we like just tentatively have you back on maybe six months from now after that season to kind of talk again about some stuff does that sound good Um, sounds good to me yeah because maybe we can nerd out about season two and then some other some of the cool stuff that's come out over the next six months and you know do that again that would be awesome sounds good to me i'm there awesome awesome well thank you for joining us cody this has been super super cool um if only podcasts could go forever because then we could just keep doing this all day but then people would be like holy crap why do you have a 24 hour long podcast i have to get some sleep um but we'll we'll talk to you again soon enough and i hope you have a good rest of your evening and thank you for taking the time to join us and um, is there anything else you want to share? Any way people can get a hold of you? Any websites they should be visiting? Any anything they should be doing? So we are uh, we're on most social media. I know we have Twitter, we have Facebook. I think we're I don't I don't know if we're on Instagram. I think we have an account. We just don't post a lot on it. Um, <laughs> Uh, we have our own site, artillerystoryandgames.com, uh, and our our which is. Um, Sort of a blog site, and then our uh, our store. Um, we mostly post on the blog site, obviously, when we have new updates and the like. But you can find it on most of our social media. Um, that's about it at the moment. I kind of plugged everything on the Witcher front that I was already <laughs> going to be doing. So, it, right. as 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 always, it has been a genuine pleasure. I I am honored to be on the show, and I'm excited yes. for next time. Yes. Yeah. I. I, I 
constantly seeing your stuff on Twitter because that's usually where I'm most active too. So Artelsorian on Twitter, if you guys aren't already following them on Twitter, it's a great place to, to follow and just stay aware of what's going on. Um, our social media manager is absolutely insane. He, he posts wild stuff on our Twitter all the time. Yes, and he like actually certifiably insane. No, no not actually certified. Jay's going to be like, what? No, no, Jay, not certified. That was, that was an easy joke. It was, calm down. It's okay. Your boss is here. Everything's fine. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you again for joining us. Toasty, thanks for being here too, buddy. Um, we're going to head out. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with another regular episode where we'll be diving into another one of the schools. Toasty, do we have do we have a plan? Toasty's, uh, Toasty's I, our, our I, I want to talk about the cat school. We're talking about cats. We're talking about the cat school of the Witcher. I mean, this is kind of like our Griffin school. This episode, is our Griffin. Yeah, this was yeah. awesome. You did our, our job With for the us. Expert. So. Yeah, there yeah, you go. Is... Thanks for taking care of an episode for me. I appreciate it. All right. The cats, <clears throat> the cats are a good, the cats are a good one. There's a lot of good material there. Yeah, so we'll be back next week with uh, talking about the cat school of the Witcher. And we'll see you then. Thanks, everybody. Have a good rest of your night. See you later. Thanks for tuning in to the Witcher Lorecast. We'd love to hear about your experiences with the games and the books and the TV series and all your thoughts on everything. Please check out the Robots Radio Discord and follow us on Twitter at Witcher Lorecast. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net.